Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Vent Weekly. I'm Amelia. All our lives have been changed by COVID-19 and months in lockdown. Even with some restrictions starting to lift, the world still seems a very different place. The news is overwhelming and it's hard to know what to believe right now. So that's why we launched this mini-series of bonus episodes on Vent Weekly called COVID-19 Fact Checkers. If you're done with COVID-19, this mini-series might not be for you. But don't worry, we're still releasing our regular, non-corona-specific episodes every Wednesday. But if you do have questions or anxieties around COVID-19 that you want spoken about, we got you. This series, we're getting you answers. So today, I'm joined by Mariam and Sam Knight, a staff writer for The New Yorker magazine who's been writing about the UK's response to the pandemic from the outset. And we're also joined by Brent councillor Joshua Murray, whose area includes Church End, which alone has seen 36 deaths. This is the second part of our discussion about why the UK has such a high death rate. This time we focus on how it's hit us especially hard here in Brent. So, Josh, you just want to tell us a little bit more about the community that you serve and how badly it's been affected by the pandemic. So, the Church End estate and, and the, the wider ward that represents Halsden and if you go down to Halsden, you can see why Brent won the, the Borough of Culture just there. Because there's just so much different flavours, different sounds. You've got the Brazilian community, the Irish community that's been there. It used to be like an inner city farm, so you still have um, a lot of the English community mm. still there. Um, Romanian community that's come in, this, um, the East African community. And then you've got the, obviously the, the Afro-Caribbean community. You, you get that flavour of, of almost the whole world. Mm-hmm. But then you've got two worlds in Harsden because you've got all these new people who've come in, bought in Harsden, but then you still have that community that's been there. And that community that's been there have suffered greatly. Mm-hmm. Um, back in 2007, um, Harsden was known as the gun capital of Europe because almost every single week someone was being shot. And that was the reality of the situation. Um, but what, what I want to break, break down into that is that these gangs that people call, call them, it, it, they're just brothers and sisters, cousins, their family that grew up together, but it's society that let them down. I'm not acting. So society yeah. is um, sort of allowed the, this sort of war on drugs to, to really happen within this community and done nothing about it. And it's society that's allowed poverty to be in this area. Yeah. And I think that's important to understand that this is an area that's been absolutely devastated by COVID. What COVID has really attacked is the Somali community. Mm -hmm. And one of the teachers, uh, one of the stalwart teachers who was in the community, um, unfortunately lost his life. Hassan Afara, he did great work. He he was the one that got, I believe, four students from from the Somali community within Halsden, within Brent, to Oxbridge University. So um, that's the kind of person that we've lost within the Somali community. And it's it's really hard to understand because the Somali community in of itself, they come from a war-torn area. Like, they, they came to this country for hope. It's so true. And they've worked incredibly hard to achieve um, certain things. 
did you notice many um, existing social and racial inequalities that played a big part in your community due to this pandemic? COVID has highlighted the inequality, the poverty within my community. And I think that's why Halsden was probably one of the worst affected areas. If you look at it, majority of of the workers within Halsden, that they are frontline staff. and And I think that's because they come from a black and ethnic background. And when you, when you look at that, it's almost like a, a glass of Guinness with mm-hmm. dark at the bottom and then you go to the top, it's the froth white. Exactly. And I think that's, that, that's most of the institutions that we have within this country. So are we surprised that COVID has affected somewhere like, like ours and somewhere like the church and the state? Not really. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, these are people who are the frontliners. These are people who worked hard. 100%. They came to this country to rebuild it. And guess what? They're going to be the same people who are going to be rebuilding this country after COVID as well. Yeah. It is very negligent of different communities and it's just ignoring that when it comes to this pandemic and the adjustments that a lot of people have to make, particular communities will suffer. And it's people like Dominic Cummins who are happy to throw out the rules and to to inflict punishments to those who don't follow it, like the fines and stuff like that, which will definitely target the minority ethnic communities because they don't see themselves like everybody else. Police forces could use their discretion when it came to issuing these fines. And these new figures suggest that most forces were two to three times more likely to believe that the behaviour of a black or minority ethnic person deserved a fine compared to the behaviour of a white person that they came across. And the the, the other effect of it, Mm -hmm. as we're seeing with the block party, but with other situations, is that the the police have been very heavy-handed within the community. I look at the work that um, United Borders is doing, which is a charity based in my ward, um, and literally every day he comes out of his house and he sees almost a young person getting stopped every single time. Uh, and that's just him. So you can imagine what's going on and, and it's the emotional scars of it. Some of your listeners might not, might have never been stopped and searched in their whole lives, but it's the embarrassing feeling that that has, that has ramifications. And then if you look at the education as well, um, some of our young people who've been out of it three months without um, schooling, who do you reckon that's going to devastate more when already some of our young people have been discriminated on within the school system? Mm-hmm. And again, it's about poverty, it's about inequality. Society has let them down and they feel hurt by it, they feel devastated by it. Yeah. I feel like it's just unveiling like how the government and just the system generally is just racist. Not only are black and minority ethnic people most likely to contract the virus or be at risk of contracting it, but also like those areas where those people predominantly live will be targeted by the police in an unjust way. It just kind of brings to like the already like kind of simmering issues of racism. But what can we do about it? What can we do about that? Is there any way we can sort of try and overcome this, especially because this is like life and death situation right now. What what we can do as individuals is, what we can't do, first and foremost, I'll talk about what we can't do, is we can't wait for the government to to suddenly change. I mean, they're going to be here for the next five years. Yeah. So I look at it and I look at what I've done um, and I've been talking to some of the local charities within the community that's been affected, especially in the church and the state. I've already mentioned United Borders, um, Rivo Sika, some of the churches um, who who've want to come together and, and want to help out. And, and that's what I've been doing as an individual. And I, th- I don't think that's difficult for anyone to do in a sense. It's about knocking on a door to check, check if your neighbour's OK, um, especially if they're elderly and you know that they're homeless and things like that because you can change uh, the outset of a person's life just by being good. Yeah. It's just one of those ones where it, it's been highlighted that, look, these government guys have let us down and maybe we just need to 
coming more into our community, there's always that strong will of, do you know what? We've been in, we've been in worse. We, we, but we still overcome, we'll, we'll overcome. Because as a community, we see each other as a village, and as a village, we'll, we'll help each other out. And that's the, that's the community feel within, within Halsden, that's the community feel within the church and the state. This, hopefully, COVID will give us a lightning rod to build and rebuild and, and, and get closer together. That's what I'm seeing anyway. Um, yeah, I think that's so interesting, actually, um, that you feel as though the onus is partially or quite weighted on the communities to actually tackle the issues as opposed to waiting for the government because obviously they've kind of proven that they're not really as fast to act, especially when it comes to our communities. But I mean, some would argue, some people would argue that actually um, the onus is on the public and there is some sense of accountability that we need to take. Sam, any thoughts on that? I mean, I think one thing that I find hard to get my head around is how much we've all changed since the start of the year. Mm particularly thinking of others and the spread of a virus and how that might affect someone that you can never predict who it might affect. I'm trying to go somewhere positive with this, is that maybe as individuals, I hope that we have learned a measure of responsibility about how, how we respond to this crisis is decisive in terms of, of how it will affect people. I live in Tower Hamlets and you can, you know, it's, it's sad, but you now go on the BBC and see how many people have died literally kind of almost street by street and you have a sense of where the outbreaks are. I don't know, you know, it's uncomfortable, but, you know, is that this, this new normal that we talk about for the next year or so, or however long, until we, get, until we get the vaccine, which enables us to, to have a version of normality? Yeah. In recent weeks, we've reopened retail and footfall is rising. We want to give people more confidence to shop safely and enhance protections for those who work in shops. Both of these can be done by the use of face coverings. One of my bugbears on this one is, is the question of masks. Mm. You know, as, as far as we know, one person wearing a mask is not going to make a whole difference. A whole city wearing a mask, my goodness, you cut the transmission of this disease. It seems to me that's not about people as individuals, that's about a kind of collective action to try and get us through this thing. Yeah. This should be a common courtesy, a common, like, signal of, like, the bonds that, that tie us as communities that, that we need to, to act as a collective. Josh, do you feel like there's been any positive impacts of the lockdown in Halston? The positives I'd say is that we've we've had stalwarts in the community who have rise to the occasion. Yeah. Um, I, I think of Leroy Simpson, who's used his own house as a, as a place where people can gather food and, and things like that, and he's been out there delivering. Mm -hmm. Revo Seekers the same, uh, even though Revo Seekers is in sort of Kensal Green, yep. which um, if anybody knows the stories within Church Road and Kensal Green, um, they know that it's not it's never been peaceful. It's it's, it's been it's been warring throughout. Yeah. Uh, but now you look at it and, and people have come together to solve issues because what's important for everyone to understand is there is excellence within our community. Um, there is brilliance within our community. Yeah. And again, as much as I've been critical of the police, even them, um, um, the police have reached out to myself and, and they've actually reached out and said, look, we have done wrong. Councillor, what can we do to improve the cohesion? And I think it takes a lot of it takes a lot of guts to do that. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm not here to, to bash the police if they do something good, but if they do something wrong, I'm here to um, make sure that they they get better as well. Yeah. And do you feel like with, you know, the excess deaths that we have here, are we looking at like a public inquiry after all this? A hundred percent. There definitely should be a public inquiry because. 
This government has been scandalous. I mean, our country is meant to be one of the greatest countries in the whole world, and yet the way that we've treated our citizens during this crisis has been um, disgusting. It's been horrible. So the desperately needs to be a public in inquiry and then hopefully it will reveal the what, what we've been talking about throughout this whole yeah. whole conversation the the injustices yeah. that this country shows to its its vulnerable people because it's only the vulnerable people that has been affected by this virus and it's shown um, this yeah. UK government this this uh, this country to, which should be fancy pantsy country and it's shown them to be what they really are and that is people that care about the people at the top and disregard the people at the bottom. So true. How the government has handled this, Just, I just want people to remember when it comes back to, back to voting and don't forget. So, Mariam, kind of like, what have you learned from this whole time and what do you hope to take forward into like, the future? It's obviously, like this whole quarantine lockdown thing has forced us all to take a step back and yeah. we have a lot more time to think about the society we live in and I realise that there's so much injustice happening in the world. I mean, I've always yeah. been aware of it, but I never really actually sat down and thought about it. But after looking, having the time to actually research myself, it's sort of empowered me to be more active about speaking out about it. So like. I've made a whole Instagram page about, about advocacy and educating people and stuff like that oh, because wow. of it. Do you want to just share like your Instagram handle so everyone can follow it? Yeah, so um, my Instagram handle is at Mariam the Advocate. Mariam with a Y, M-A-R-Y-A-M. So, um, yeah, I, I typically raise issues that are like all over the media and also the things that aren't heard as well and also try and educate people because news a lot of um, news articles have a lot of biases yeah and they they can typically or more often than not they're against the favor of the minority mm. so i'm really kind of in a way grateful that quarantine has happened because if it wasn't for that i don't think i would have been as interactive with with yeah. um the news and stuff like that yeah, I feel that personally, I feel like life really needed to go on pause, actually. Yeah. It's really brought to light a lot of things that I don't think people really paid enough attention to, especially how, when it comes to a pandemic and other global issues, how the government fails a lot of communities and demographics of people. And I think this is something that was very, very important to discuss. And I feel like us having the conversation is going to fuel some sort of change, which I think Hopefully. is like a good thing. <laughs> because obviously, like we're from Brent, so, like, we see inequalities all the time. We see how people in our communities are being treated. And so I feel like just generally life being put on pause has actually kind of started up again in a different way. And it makes you kind of think that the normal that, we're, that we wanted to return to probably was actually quite toxic and a lot needs to have changed. So I hope that the normal that we do return to will be completely different. But, yeah, Sam, do you have any final thoughts? Wow, Amelia, you just, yeah. You, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I always do that, I go off on a tangent. But... No, 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 no. It's hard to top that because I think you're completely right. And it, and it feels to me like there is this fragile, hopeful thing at the moment where I feel like we can all see a lot of problems in common. And the question to me is how does that consciousness, which is kind of happening now, which is stimulated by Black Lives Matter and it's stimulated by disasters like the one that happened in Church End in Brent, we, we, we feel it now. And, and how does that translate into some kind of concrete political action or hope after mm -hmm. this and make it real and lasting? Mm -hmm. And I, 
I can't be very hopeful about that at the moment. I'm just being honest yeah. with you guys. I kind of, just the drift of our politics at the moment makes me sceptical of that. I actually am more optimistic in terms of like change happening. And I feel like we, as the upcoming generation as well, are very, very like outspoken. And so it's given a lot of people like Mariam Time and myself to really digest. And so it's really refreshing for me to see everybody kind of actively become more engaged and productive when it comes to tackling these issues. So I'm, I don't know, personally, I'm quite optimistic for the future and I hope to see. That's good to hear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So guys, what I think about your generation is I think your generation is brilliant. I think your generation are fearless and it's important to be like that. When you look at the, the Black Lives Matter movement, the reason why it's been so powerful is nobody knows who's leading it. Mm -hmm. It's just you young people being spontaneous and that's why you guys got to register to vote because that's going to be the significant change. Um, and it's going to be down to you guys because you guys will change the world. Yeah, especially with our generation. I think our generation ha have seized this opportunity to sort of learn about the past mistakes or current mistakes that are going on now and trying to use use that and, and build a better society hopefully in the future. So yeah, in that sense, I think I'm quite optimistic as well. Well, I'm really glad to have spoken to you three. I know that we've had an extra long conversation, but I feel like it was totally necessary to be yeah. honest. So I'm really glad that we did have this talk. Yeah, thank you. So thank you all three of you for coming on. Uh, no worries guys. And keep in touch everybody. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to Vent Weekly, bonus COVID-19 fact checkers. I've been Amelia. Thanks to Mariam, Sam and Councillor Murray for joining me. This episode was produced by Rose Delarabiti with help from the Vent production team, Jess Lawson, Lucas Fothergill and Maweed Majid. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>